Hello and welcome back to the Not So Fit Couple podcast with your hosts, Lucy Davis. I'm Benjamin Holden. So this week's episode is kindly sponsored by AirUp. Since we did, since we introduced these on the podcast, I think it was last week or the week before. Yeah, I think it's two weeks we've ago. We've had quite a lot of questions about like what they are. Essentially, they are a refillable bottle which turns plain water and sparkling water into flavoured water for a, for a scent. If you're watching on YouTube, you can basically see the bottles that me and Ben have and they're 650 ml, which I think is actually probably more ideal than carrying a litre bottle. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? It's just a little bit, it's a bit more hand friendly. And if you can see, by the way, if you're not on YouTube, definitely flick over so you can actually see what I'm showing you. You have these little tabs that you put on top. So mine is raspberry, strawberry, so basically mixed berries. And when you sip it, you smell the tab. So it's, it uses uses different senses rather than just like taste, if I, that makes sense. I'm super terrible getting water in because I hate drinking water. Because <laughs> you do hate it. I don't it, think it tastes like anything at all. So these ones are actually great because when I take them to the gym, when I'm just like, nah, I don't want to drink water. I'll just have a sip of these. Do you want to try mine? No, I like mine. It's better. Feel a little taste. That one's the tight light like tea. Wow, that smells so strong. That strong. One, isn't it? So that's what I mean. So, you know, sometimes when you're ill mm. and you've got a cold and stuff, you can't often taste foods. And that's because your scent plays a massive part. Wow, that one's really nice. Your taste. So that's the, the same thing with this. The scent effectively alters the taste of the water because there's no additives or anything like that in it to, to change the flavor. And then also, you basically have a reusable bottle. Yeah. So, so you're not using shit tons of plastic. Well, each each pod needs 25 to 50 times less plastic per litre than the usual bottled beverages do. So if you want to try and be more sustainable and lower mm -hmm. your carbon footprint, is it? And this is a great way to do so. And the bottles look super cool as well. They do look super cool. They match our set. Look at that. I think that looks literally so bougie. But we have a link or a code? Yeah, so the link will be in the YouTube video. And... The link will be in the podcast description and you can save 10% with the code not so fit. Not so fit. Lovely. Okay. So today's podcast. Um, Firstly, ooh. we have been today talking about different guests that we can potentially get on the oh, podcast. Yes. If you have any guests you'd love to see on the podcast, any recommendations, please feel free to drop them on the YouTube video comments even if you don't watch on the youtube video and there's someone you think I'd, mm -hmm. I'd love to hear them on the podcast jump over on the youtube drop a comment on there of a guest and we will do our best to reach out and try and get them on yeah do, doesn't matter who it is it could be elon musk we'll, we'll do our best to get him on the podcast but today's episode we're talking about numerous topics that are a little bit more fitness focused mm -hmm. today obviously myself and ben are in the fitness industry and we always think these episodes are like one of our favorites and they're super helpful for people yeah because i think the direct questions from listeners so mm. it's massively helpful for us to answer them because it gives you direct feedback from us yeah 100 percent. shall i go first no rock paper scissors okay <laughs> oh no okay so do, wait go one three, two. no wait this is an example one two three and then go yeah okay. say go okay one, one two, two three. three go Yes, <laughs> it's the most exciting thing when I win. Did you ever do it in primary school where it was like water bomb? No, fire bomb. Make shit up some fucking Pokemon. Yeah, but I mean, I still won either way. Okay, so I'll go first with my first question. Go. The first question is, and it's 
a very just small, simple question. Mm-hmm. Tip tips for beginner lifters or a beginner to lifting. So I always like to answer these with analogies. You love an analogy. And the one that I always use is to do with swimming because most people have taken swimming lessons and can relate. So when you first start taking swimming lessons, you will never go and jump in the deep end first. You will always go in the paddle end first, dip your toes in, get in the shallow mm-hmm. end, learn the basics of how to swim before they then go mm-hmm. into the deeper depths of the water to, to explore. Exactly the same with the gym. You don't need to start doing everything at once. You don't need to be going to the gym five days a week. Mm-hmm. You don't need to be tracking every single little element of lifting. You don't need to be doing these circus acts of wonderful shit that people are posting online. Yeah. Because the one thing to remember is that when you're new to the gym is you are like when you're a horny teenager and you have sex for the first time, like whatever you do just feels great. It's exactly the same when you first start going to the gym because you are hyper-responsive to a lot of training. Mm-hmm. You've got, got those newbie gains. So whatever you do essentially in that first couple of weeks, couple of months, you're going to grow from, you're going to develop from, you're going to progress from. So I would say for a lot of time, it's about trial and error. Mm-hmm. However, that isn't the only thing because obviously one of the big things to avoid wasting time as you develop and go through could be to pick up a program because starting on a basic program might even help you pull back on the amount of volume that you're going to do. Mm-hmm. Cause I always believe that you should get more bang for your buck and try and do less to get more. Yeah. 100%. You be, you basically, it's like you could read my show notes. I've, I was saying that it's so important not to go balls to the wall straight away. As in, as yeah. you said, you don't need to do five, six sessions straight away just because you've seen other people online doing it. And one of the most important things is, as Ben said, the basic staple exercises do work. And there are a lot of people who come over to the My Coach School app who are beginners. And we feel we're helping them unlearn things that they've p- picked up from other people, other trainers social media, I'm not naming names, but people who have been doing seven hit sessions a week and their knees and their joints are absolutely screwed or they're doing these crazy ass exercises and it's a bit off-putting. So they come over to school and we unlearn what they have learned. And one of the most important things is actually following a program. I wish when I started training at going to the gym, that I had an actual program to follow because my glute workouts, for example, I spoke about this before on the podcast. I used to go in and feel the need to do like 11 glute exercises. And I was frustrated because I was like, why aren't I seeing any growth? Why are I seeing any progression? That just doesn't work. I now do like four or five glute exercises because I know that works. The basic staple exercises, progressively overloading and learning those things over time but I didn't have that. I didn't I didn't know who to look up to or or what to do. So I just used to piece together loads and loads of stuff and do ridiculous amounts of volume. So it's obviously saying to if you are a beginner, you don't need to be doing 11 exercises, 12 exercises. You could do four or five. They could be all super basic. Four sets of eight, just going in there, following a program that you can stay accountable to and something that you actually enjoy. I think quite a big one is the whole enjoyment element that you have to enjoy what you're doing. Like as a beginner, you shouldn't already be forcing yourself to train. 
you should want to go to the gym or want to run or cycle or Zwift or <laughs> whatever you're doing. What I've been doing isn't it Zwift at the moment. Zwifty Zwift. So that's really been oh, yeah. that's really been humbling for me because I'm very new to cycling and I was doing a beginner program yesterday. I had to stop after 10 minutes because I was fucked. I couldn't keep yeah. up with the group that I was I was cycling with. And and that's again, even with programs, it can be very humbling when you start something and to know where your level of ability is before you even go into it. I think one of the other things that a lot of people do is as beginners is we look at people um for motivation online or we look at people of influence who look awesome and then we go, okay, what are they doing in the gym? I'll just copy because then I'll look like that. Which what you've got to remember is that person's probably got 10 years training experience. They've been yeah. training for a very long time. So their body is used to that load, that volume, that intensity, whereas you're not. So simply copying someone isn't the right thing to do. Also, like I was thinking when I was in the gym this morning, training legs, I train nowhere near as hard or as long as I used to. Nowhere near. Six hour legs. No, even out. just with, just not even that bit, even just with legs, I don't train as hard because mm. I train smarter rather than harder. Yeah. And that's why I was a big fan of slow and steady, not hard and heavy. So slow and steady, not hard and heavy. That's yeah. a well good quote. So try and apply that to training because one of the big mistakes that I made when I was a beginner, and I've, I've told this story before on the podcast, is Saturday for me was a day where it was gym day. <laughs> not not just gym Every session, gym day. day. <laughs> Honestly, it was a gym day. Proper, I remember you telling proper me. bro shit. So I'd go to the old school gym that I used to train at with my mate about 10 o'clock. We'd train 10 till 12. Way too long for a session anyway, two hours. Mm. And then we'd go around the corner to the Asda. Go to the Asda. Get just a whole fucking chicken. What's your favorite chicken from Asda flavor? I like barbecue. Yeah, I usually get but not. I, can't, I don't buy a whole barbecue chicken. I buy like if I was going to yeah, get a barbecue course. chicken, it'd be the packs of chicken. Because you're not a fucking savage bro <laughs> I'm like not I was. Nando's. So I was a chicken assassin. So I used to buy one of those full one with a 1.5 liter of strawberry milkshake, nail that in, let it oh, digest for about an so hour, and then go back in the gym for like another three hours. And we'd just do laps of the gym, cycling through the equipment and the machine, just playing with them. And obviously that was cheaper because it's like five or six hours worth mm. of training there as a teenager and obviously my body could take it because when you're 16 to 18 you, you, body, just, you can just yeah, do anything you just do. you're literally superman so i just recover from it and that's all i used to do just wasting loads of time that's why i'm a big fan of getting more bang for your buck with your training not doing too much when you first start and then slowly scaling your training as you're going through yeah i think actually that's a really good point some beginners look at like the gym environment or training and they think they're going to be in there for like three hours. Yeah. My session this morning was a glute workout and it was 50 minutes and it was a full banging glute session from the app and I absolutely loved it. And it took me 50 minutes. Even when I first started going to gym, I'd be in there for at least... Oh. And started gym? And when I started gym, hour and a half, hour 45, just keep going, just keep going, just keep going. But yeah, that's actually a really good point to tell if you are a beginner who's listening, don't think you have to be in the gym for even over an hour and a half. Obviously, maybe if you're so doing strength training, session, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but like two hours, you're really, you're really pushing the ball out there. The other big thing for me with beginner training is that when you first start doing anything new, it doesn't matter whether it's the gym, whether it's driving a car, whether it's a new work environment, you're always going to have lower confidence because as human beings, whenever we step out of our comfort zone and do something different in a different environment with different habits, we're always going to feel less confident doing it because we've never built up those mental calluses to 
gain experience that we're more confident in those situations because through repetition we become more confident at doing stuff yeah and i put this tweet up the other day and again it wasn't in, it wasn't direct direct this type of person to either newbie but i think you can take a lot from it because there's a lot of people who are self-conscious going to the gym based on their sort of perception of what other people think mm. so just think about this being at peace with the fact that some people will like you and some won't will never sit easy with you but the moment that you come to terms with this is where you will level up you and your impact nobody can be you it's really great i love that so it's nice. i think when you start to remember that in your life not every single person is going to like you no matter what you do yeah, you can't be that is when you will start to do the shit that you want to do and it will stop you from pulling you back. Yeah. I think it's a hard lesson to learn, but it's definitely one that if you can pick it so up right away. So like, difficult. Definitely do it. You okay. okay? My <laughs> you, question. you go, my go. How important are deload weeks? Okay, so I am very for deload weeks. Can I, shall I explain what a deload explain week is? Explain what a deload is. is first, yeah. So a deload week is essentially where... It's usually a week, which is why it's called a deload week, where you reduce the load, the intensity, the volume of your workouts and of your sessions that week. And it's basically recharge, 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 recharge relax, kind of reset your central nervous system, get rid of ridiculous amounts of soreness that you might be having, or if you're in a fatigue plateau, whatever it would be. And deload weeks are something that I've pretty much always done. And I don't know that's because I've come from a swimming background where we used to have tapers, which yeah. is, I think it's, I think a taper is a bit dissimilar to a deload because obviously a taper is more of a sport sporting term that you what have. Is, tape. What is a taper? So a taper is basically the same thing where you reduce the intensity, the volume, but you also take off the amount of sessions. So I have a taper. So is that like periodization then? Yeah, but you basically I have a taper before my ultra that's in my program where yeah. I'm doing way less running. I'm not doing any strength sessions that week to prepare myself for a specific yeah, event. Yeah. Uh, it must be that. I think you taper before, we used to taper before like champs or... Yeah, yeah, because you don't go balls to the wall before like a game day. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't know, maybe like footballs or do I don't even know. Um, but yeah, I really like deload weeks and it's something that I've definitely done in my training and mm. my programming. So in my opinion, deload weeks are great. But unless you are in a strength-based program or cycle, you for me, you don't need to schedule them. Schedule is in like, you don't... So you don't... Explain. You don't necessarily... If So, for example, if we look at most gyms in the UK, most people... Oh, stop looking there. It's weird. I didn't know if it was like... It had like taste. Just smell. Isn't it's it you? weird. So, anyway... When you look at most gyms in the UK, most people aren't doing strength-based programs or performance-based programs in the general gym. Most people are general gym goers who aren't training at the necessary intensity to need to schedule in a deload because the deloads will usually come in when they go on holidays through the year, when they mm -hmm. take trips away, when they take a week unplanned week off, when they get ill or sick. Mm -hmm. So they're kind of like the, the deloads. The other way to also use a deload, and this is more so how I use them at the moment because I'm not doing a program which is based on structure of strength and percentages to where I'm really, really building up because a lot of the time I'll keep reps and reserves and training yeah. for, to build tissue and not necessarily for performance, which requires heavy numbers or low numbers where I'm having a lot of impact on the central nervous system and the joints. So I will take my deloads 
based on how I feel. So when I'm looking at how I feel, I'm looking at where is my strength currently at? Has it fell through the floor? Can I recover? I.e. if you are one of these people who's like, I'm just sore all the time, I'm not recovering and super fatigued, then potentially take a deload. Mm. If you're picking up a lot of injuries or niggles, like for example, for me at the moment, I've got a bicep niggle and a hamstring niggle, I'll deload those areas because I can't train them properly at the moment. So it's just about being more in tune and self-aware of your body sometimes for me with deload. However, with deloads for strength programs, so for example, there's one or two programs on the school that are based on 531, mm-hmm. which is essentially strength-based programs which cycle through different percentages. And the fourth week is a deload because that essentially is like a taper week where you need to take away some of the training volume because you're about to go in the week after and do a test of your one RM. Yeah. And you even if you don't feel like or energy wise feel great, because I've had it with clients sometimes where they've been like, I don't need a deload. You fucking do, mate. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You need, a, you need a deload because it's going to help you join to your central nervous yeah. system. Be ready for that following week. Yeah. You're not going to lose anything. Just because you're working at 50% of the volume or intensity, you're not going to lose anything. You're going to keep the engine ticking along and we're still going to be practicing technique and form. But you need that deload scheduled in at that point. What I'm saying is the majority of people don't require deload weeks because they don't put in the enough intensity to need them. Require However, one. there's going to be some people who, are, you know the type of people, and you know if you're listening, if you're, this, if you're this type of person who is like trained every single day, will never take a day off mm. because they're almost obsessed with training. That type of person may also need a deload or it might be quite mentally difficult to take one. Yeah. That's where for that type of person, telling someone to take a week off is fucking not happening. So having a deload week may be more advantageous to that type of person because psychologically and mentally and habitually they'll still stay in routine. Yeah, no, definitely. And I forgot to mention before, and this is kind of relevant to the question you asked me and the question that I had for beginners Mm -hmm. in terms of, so the program that Ben was talking about there is the strength program on the My Coach School app. And it's one of the programs that I had wrote, I think we've had that about a year now or just less. And week four and week eight are scheduled deload weeks because week five and 10 is testing your one rep max. And if you do want to try the My Coach School app, so if you're a beginner, absolutely fantastic. And I will big the app up because it is amazing. It truly is. We're one of the only fitness apps where we have taken the time to record the exercises, not in a studio. Like we've not put a leg press in the studio and just doing an exercise. We talk through every single exercise. So for a beginner, you can imagine how advantageous that is to actually be able to hear us being like hip hinge. Yeah. Hip hinge is this. Imagine there's a door behind you or whatever it is. So if you want a seven day free trial on the My Coach School app, just use the code not so fit 20 and then you can just try it out. If you don't like it, won't be offended. Link is in the description of the YouTube video and the podcast. <laughs> yeah. With, with that as well as I think once you try some of the programs, you'll realize you don't actually have to do a ton of exercises or you don't have to be in the gym for ages when you go through mm-hmm. some of mine and Lucy's programs. And even I had a question the other day in the Facebook group, which was, oh, why have I only got two sets of this exercise? And that's because you don't need to be doing four sets of every single exercise all the time, mm-hmm. especially with some of my programs, which are geared up for you to go full out on two sets. Because if you go balls to the wall on two sets, you don't need to do four. Yeah. Because you're going to be goosed. You shouldn't be able to do four. You're going to be Donald Ducked <laughs> from it. So that is why some some of my programs only have two sets of each exercise. Okay. Again, back to back to me when taking deloads. 
I've just been saying to Carlos Moore in the gym, like I'm, I've got like little injuries at the moment, niggles, biceps sore, hamstrings sore. I haven't taken a week off for a while. However, we go on holiday in three weeks. Less than three weeks. For 16 days. 20 and days. when we go away, I'm training wise, pretty much going to be taking a deload because I'm almost going to be doing one-on-one off. Sessions in the gym will probably be about 30 minutes before just getting a quick session in the morning. Or hopefully I'll be back with my running by that point in my hamstring better. And I'll be doing 10K or less. So for me, it's, it's a kind of forced deload, but in a very nice environment. It's like food. Vitamin D. Vitamin D, Disney, Universal, Harry mm. Potter. It's All very exciting. Shit. Okay, my next question. How can I lose weight if my deficit isn't working? Well, you're not on a deficit. Yeah. It's kind of a harsh reality, that, isn't it? Yeah. Like, the the, the way that question is worded, how can I lose weight if my deficit isn't working? You, you can't be in a deficit if it's not. If you're not, if you're not losing weight, you're not on a deficit. It's... Is the ins and outs of it. Mm-hmm. Um, there may be reasons of why you're slipping out of that deficit. Maybe if you are having a lot of condiments, they could be sliding into your diet to bring you up to maintenance. A big one is always people's weekends. Yeah. So I, for a lot of clients, will put in days of intuitive eating on a Saturday, but I very clearly explain they're not a day of binging or just eating all out wherever you want because it's very then easy to take you out take you out of that deficit that you created through the week by just going and tanking your ass on a weekend mm. so especially the type of person on saturday and sundays don't give a fuck and you're like oh, i can get away with it because i've done it for five days it's not the case you can eat a bit more on the weekend if you're more restrictive through the week and create that flexibility for yourself on the weekend but a lot of people overdo the weekends to the point which takes them out of the deficit for the week and essentially you just sabotaged the five days of hard work you put in through the week i know it's difficult sometimes to stick to it i know it's difficult to lose weight but you don't have to stick in that period of being in a deficit forever. It's a little bit like saving for a house, saving for a mortgage. You don't have to scrape it away and save away all of your life. You do it for a big period to put that down payment down. Mm-hmm. And once you're there, it's then a lot easier to maintain. Yeah, 100%. And I think what you said there was really important in terms of snacking, condiments, Starbucks. For example, you have the best example of the Starbucks mind. Like on my nose, Ben's put his nose on the mic. That was so funny. The Starbucks scenario. Can I tell the story? Yeah, yeah. So Ben had a client and who was in a calorie deficit. They were on a personal weight loss journey. And they kind of just hit like a significant plateau and weight was kind of going up, plateauing rather than like dropping about a pound to two pound a week. And then Ben was like, Are you kind of like are you doing something like you're not really tracking, like going out, having a coffee? And was he having two or three of these? Three a day. So he'd have one at breakfast, one at lunch and one on his way home. Yeah. And it was a caramel large macchiato from Starbucks. They're pushing on 400, 500 calories. They are 395, I think they were at the time. Okay. So we'll round it to 400. That is 1,200 calories extra per day. For five days a week. For five days a week, which is quick maths. No idea. A lot of calories. That's over like 7,000 calories. And okay, so this example, how can I lose weight if my deficit isn't working? Are you having a large latte? I mean, even a large latte with full fat milk from Starbucks is like 200, 300 calories, which is that we actually spoke about this in the calories on menus thing like the other week. That for you personally might be beneficial to know. And maybe you'll go for a large black coffee with a drop of milk. And that's about 50 calories because it's, 
it's so it's just it's one of those things that you don't even think about tracking it's, you don't e- even it's think easy about. to do it's so easy to do by the mm. way because look at fucking pancake gate for us oh the, my situation no me oh that was a really so that was, we've both done that with that pancakes was, that was only six weeks ago and me, <laughs> and me and lucy would like to consider ourselves experienced fitness ex- experts <laughs> and me and lucy we weren't necessarily dieting at the time but we just kind of like sticking their maintenance yeah and we were making pancakes each night <laughs> after pancake day we got a bit yeah obsessed, we got obsessed with pancakes after pancake day and we just went balls didn't we on the yeah. pancakes like oh well, every night me and lucy tend to do this we find the food like we milk the shit out of it and yeah. i hate it so we had pancakes every night and we were sort of roughly guesstimating what they were at little did i know the amount of calories in white flour yeah white flour is we, we were putting in okay i'm gonna work it we were putting in about 200 grams weren't we yeah uh, so 200 grams of white flour no, it was 300 grams i put in <laughs> yeah because we were kind of just gashing the ratios but we did measure the flour 300 grams of white, <laughs> of white flour is 1092 calories and then we were having three eggs oat milk and then toppings yeah <laughs> was like because i i think i questioned you i was like i said i wonder how many calories i mean we weren't counting at times like, i wonder how many calories are in these and you're like it's like 200 white calories flour is flour. one of those things that will just bend you over and stick you dry like it doesn't care it just doesn't care <laughs> but it's easy to go out. in yeah it's easy, it's easy to get in that's what i mean by with a, with a caloric oh. deficit you can think you're sticking to it but there can be even if you are being great and you're tracking there can be things that you didn't even know were slipping into your diet or they were that high calories Again, going back to that calories on menus debate, some people just wouldn't realise how much is in stuff and they're trying all week and they've got that one thing which is fucking them over every Mm. single week. Yeah, I think one... Okay, this is just to be a bit more play devil's advocate. If you categorically are sticking to your deficit, you're in a calorie deficit of maybe 300 calories and you're being diligent, you're not snacking, you're not having any condiments or Starbucks that you're not tracking, potentially your calories are way too low and you're barely moving so your steps have slashed in half you've no energy in the gym you're not really expending the energy and then also you might need a diet break like a a planned diet break to basically take you out of a calorie deficit and it's usually to break up longer periods of dieting and it only needs to last like a week or two weeks um but that could be something that I would suggest. That's the only thing you'd probably suggest. You can't be in a deficit too long either to the point where you Mm -hmm. won't lose weight. If you continue to be in a deficit for your whole life, you'd eventually die or wither away. Yeah, your carry on losing weight will just pop. But yeah. So my next question is, and this one always comes up, by the way, and there's a couple uh, uh, new ones that I want to sort of touch on as well, so we don't have to go into every single one of them. Biggest fitness myths that are still around. Ooh, okay. I actually did a post on this the other day and I really enjoyed doing my post. I think sweating, so the myth, sweat equals fat loss. Yeah. Or sweat equals weight loss, where sweating is a normal bodily function that should be happening. You shouldn't try and not sweat. You know when people get those things which like stop sweat, like those pads and stuff? Never seen them, what are they? Like stickers. What? They can put on your armpits and it stops your sweat glands. Like fucking plasters. Yeah, it stops you from sweating. I'm sure that comes off though when you sweat. No, it doesn't. It's a sweat thing, whatever. People. No, wait there. What do you mean, a sweat thing? That's what it is. Like a sweat sticker. I don't know what it's called. Okay. What are those things buy, that women buy the best underarm sweat pads, sweat block pads, sweat pads? Sweat on clothing so labels. The, so they're essentially like sanitary towels for underneath your armpits. Yeah, it makes you stop sweating. So sweating is a natural human 
body function that happens when you get too hot and your temperature increases. And when you sweat, you lose electrolytes, you lose fluid that you actually should be replenishing. So when you do sweat during a workout or whatever you do, you should actually be drinking and replacing those electrolytes. Sweating to save you lost, you sweated loads and you lost weight. You've just lost water weight. You literally have not lost like any body mm. fat. I think that's a really big myth because people start promoting these like sauna things, these hot, oh, yeah, yeah. hot they towel. Lie down in front of room, man. Yeah. Like, and then you can lose this amount of weight by sitting in a hot sauna. So I couldn't think of anything worse than just bathing in my own sweat and then just have to drink it all back anyway. Well, that's why fighters do it. Fighters will get, do the hot therapy, yeah. hot and cold water therapy to lose the water. So they'll step on the, the scales to hit the weight class. And then, then as soon as they've got off the scales, they're putting the water in stuff back in to get the weight back up again. Yeah. I think maybe just one other one as well is cutting out carbohydrates equals instant weight loss. Yeah. I mean, cutting out carbs, yeah, you will see some sort of short-term weight loss. Because your glycogen stores are yeah. depleted. Your glycogen stores are depleted. You're going to feel like a floppy Asda bag. You're going to have no energy because you've basically taken away your main energy source and you're not going to be feeling that good. So if essentially you've cut out a whole food group which you've probably put yourself into a deficit anyway. It's not because you specifically cut out carbs. You could have cut out protein or fats and you still would have probably lost weight because you've put yourself into a deficit by removing a whole food group anyway. Um, so I do think that's a myth and I don't believe that ketogenic diet is very good. I think uh, it's fucking shit. Well, this is something that I've been looking at a little bit recently this morning, the ketogenic diet. What to do it? Oh, no, we've got more, a situation. What to do with my IBS? I feel like you can't have like avocado and like smoky no, bacon and well, I had smoky bacon and eggs this morning for breakfast. So fuck you. Can you? You can't have avocado though, can you? Which is like a no. which is a keto fuel. But the reason why is because carbohydrates are mainly the things that ferment the gut. Gluten. So um, I'm not doing a keto diet, but like I had a keto breakfast. If you want to say that this morning, it's not really a keto breakfast. I had bacon and eggs, which is fucking great, by the way. Yeah, but I'm just exploring with stuff at the moment from IBS mm. because it's just causing me absolute mayhem. Yeah. Okay, well, they were my. T I think those. Are the yeah, two yeah. That I don't instantly... agree. I don't agree with the reason why people do ketogenic diet is because they are going to lose weight off it. Because you could lose weight off any diet. There's hundreds of diets out there will help you lose weight, which are mm -hmm. a lot more sustainable and easy to stick to. But yeah. from like a health perspective, for example, we had Zach Bitter on. He st he actually started doing it because he had gut issues. So exactly the same. I think some people turn to it because it might help their digestion and issues that they have with their gut. Mm -hmm. Okay, uh, one from me. Follow on from yours was. I think you don't have to be sore or sweaty for a good workout. A lot of people base workouts on being sore. I did a post on this yesterday on Instagram, which was looking at trainers who just drive people into the ground because they feel if they make a client sore the next day, then then the client has got value for money. Yeah, they think it's they're not, satisfied. It's not what being a good PT is. You don't need to show up like Sergeant Shithead going into combat and drive people into the ground to get people's money worth, money's worth. If you explain to people the why of why they're exercising a certain way and how we're going to build up and scale for a program. People are going to get a lot more value from that. So you don't need to be sore to have had a good workout. And I, I think that's the one that constantly comes up is that, oh, I'm not sore today, so then I didn't have a good session. Or I can't sit down to have a shit this morning, so I must have tanked my legs session yesterday. Mm -hmm. You don't have to be like that. Um, Sorry, just on that one as well. With the three mechanics for developing muscle hypertrophy, you've got mechanical tension, muscular damage, muscular damage and metabolic stress. Muscular damage is 
probably the least important because when you think about it logically, if you are that sore, as in like you're so significantly sore because you're pushing to achieve soreness that you can't properly train and you can't properly properly progress, you're not going to achieve the same level of muscular hypertrophy, which is increasing muscle size. You're 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 just not. So when people strive for it, it's like mm, it happens again. Though we all fall for it. For example, yeah. the first time that I I'm just thinking now because we're going to America in three weeks. The first time I went to America. I did the Tom Platts to our leg workout before I went because I was like, I'm not going to be training legs properly for a while. No joke. This is no joke. The intensity of the dons from the day after until day seven when I was on the holiday did not ease up. I thought I was going to have to get a wheelchair or a buggy because I couldn't fucking walk just because I did like 16 sets of squats, 14 sets of leg extensions and... Uh, 14 sets of hamstring curls then 10 sets of lunges i was there for two hours i was no joke when i was walking home i i didn't know whether i'd left plan air because my head just wasn't there <laughs> but that's the thing though i mean I, even now we still occasionally will be sore we will have doms but it's not something that i'm like really want to be sore yeah. I, I really don't want to be sore at the moment because i'm thinking fucking hell he's gonna run a 40k yeah, yeah i'm the same because i'm doing a lot of bike at the moment I'm doing a lot of running my intention when i'm in the gym is I'll usually at the moment some yeah try not to be sore the next day. So I'm not going to that level of failure where I'm literally mm. crippled into the ground. Mm. I'm saving a rep maybe. Yeah. It's crazy. That's a really good myth. The other big one, and Cal sent me this today, was there's a lot of myths that go on about around metabolism. Mm-hmm. Boost your metabolism with this bullshit. Boost your metabolism with this. Raise your metabolism doing this. And it's not so much a myth. Well, I suppose it is kind of a myth now. Is there's this new study that's just came out uh, in the Journal of Science, literally just I think it was this week, and it was it's found that a lot of people as they age, you get that sort of terminology of oh those genes that used to fit me I can't get them anymore. Like I'm not the not the age I used to be because it was always thought that as you age your metabolism drops down, so your mm. your output of, of energy and calories is way less so it's easier for you to put on weight as you age mm. and that's always been the science however this new study has been looking at people's metabolisms and how they slow slow down so what they found was that as you get older metabolism doesn't slow down how how what's okay, the let me explain. Is there a limit that it does slow down so let me explain that properly so they actually found your metabolism does not slow as quick as we think so from from birth to one years old you are like a metabolic machine. You could eat, you could do the 10K calorie challenge and be like, oh, what the fuck is that? Yeah. You like the baby out of Incredibles. Yeah, it falls out your ass, then put a pound on because you're just a metabolic machine. And then it slows down after that about 3% a year okay. until the age of around your teenagers or just before you're 20. So 3% every year. But then between the age of 20 to 60, it stays the same. And they were the years that people were looking at as as in, well, this is the reason for, well, this is a big part of the, the obesity epidemic is because people's metabolic rate between those ages does slow down. This is why we get that mid-age weight. It was even shown that it doesn't, it stays the same through like things of like menopause and certain areas of that, whereas it was always thought that people's metabolic rate would slow down a lot during menopause. And it's been found that it stays the same. That's really interesting. But then post 60 years old, it does start slowing down again. Yeah, I can appreciate that. So in a way... Basically stop blaming your metabolism. Yeah. In a way, people have naturally probably been like, I because I'm 
50, my, my metabolism is slower. Yeah. So it's not kind of people have been using it as like a reasoning not to do something. Yeah. Study Excuse. means you can't do that anymore. But this is the first study they've done on it. Is yeah, this, is this the more. be all end all that? I don't know. This is one of the recent studies that's come out from the, the Journal of Science as well. So it's quite credible. It's fantastic. It's fantastic. I love that question. That was a really good question. I enjoyed that one. Shall I do my final question? Fire your finale. Okay. This was this was more of a statement. I kind of turned it into a little bit of a question. Every time I feel like I'm good at what I do, something happens to make me think otherwise. How can I believe in myself more? I love that question. Yeah, I think it's really nice. It's about self Just repeat that again, sorry. Every time I feel like I'm good at what I do, something happens to make me think otherwise. How can I believe in myself more? I would firstly try and address that thing that's making you create self-doubt. Mm. what is the thing that's making you feel like you're not good enough is it something that you're comparing yourself to is it a failure is it that you didn't have a good week as you did last week all those kind of things of one comparison we all know that that's the thief of joy and that can be a massive deteriorating factor if it's because you've had a bad week we all have bad weeks you can't operate with your foot down on the pedal every single week there's going to be weeks like we speak about a deload you have to mm. pull back a little bit you're not always going to be 100% yeah so, sorry, what, there was the end of it. How to get more self-belief. Just, yeah, in terms of how can I believe in myself more? So having more self-belief behind. Well, this person's obviously saying every time I feel like I'm good at what I do. So they do believe they're good at something, but then something might happen. And then they have like a plunge in like their own self-confidence. I, I think that comes down to a lot of time. And I sometimes think this even with the job that we do is, and it always comes down to comparing to other people. I think so too. I, I think it's a massive factor of that you don't believe that other people have negative thoughts mm. or that other people have bad weeks. I have bad weeks sometimes where I just self-doubt myself sometimes. I'm like, I'm shit at what I do. I think realizing that, I think the big thing, have relatability. This, I was answering this question will probably help that person because me and Lucy both have weeks where we don't feel the best. We don't always feel great superhuman like we're helping the world we have weeks where we're like <laughs> what, what are we doing why are we doing this like are we even helping like am i a fraud mm. Th- those kind of things creep into your head being self-aware of those and where those are coming from is massively helpful in your bid to be more self-confident because as soon as you can address those and realize that's not me saying that because our mind on our brain are, are two different things. Mm-hmm. I think I saw, it was a guy called Mo, who was on Stephen's podcast the other, the other week. And it's often like we'll get those thoughts that come into our head of, you're shit at this, you're mm. terrible at this. Yeah. They're not you thinking that because if we had control over our conscience all the time, we wouldn't let tell us things like that, would we? We would never let us t- tell ourselves things like that. Yeah, you, you'd never say it to a friend either. Like, yeah. you'd never so say it to someone it, else. It just goes to show that we don't always have control over our thoughts mm-hmm. and what our mind's saying to us. And the brain and the mind can be two different things because you would never tell yourself that because you don't want to feel like you don't actually think that about yourself as that that person just alluded to. They know they're good at it. Yeah. There's only those thoughts of self-doubt. And once you're self-aware of those, you can say, fuck off. Yeah, fuck off. See you later. You don't need to listen to those thoughts. Yeah. And know that... You're, or accept that you're allowed to feel bad or have bad weeks. I think the more that you push back against those feelings of I've got to be perfect all the time, those perfectionism thoughts, is when you have those self-doubt. Accepting the way that you feel sometimes in that moment can be very, very helpful for moving on from it instead of trying to deny it. Yeah, that was really, you should 
it was perfectly written. It should be a <laughs> written, spoken. Um, I think one of the things that you picked up on really like significantly was the comparing to other people. I think your self-belief can be a bit deteriorated or you don't feel that confident in yourself when you start looking at other people and what other people are doing in your space. And by your space, I mean your industry you're working in. It could be fashion, fitness, travel, business, whatever it is. You start comparing to other people and you think they have expectations for you. And yeah, in lines of work, you have expectations to meet at work, but then you put so much external pressure on yourself to be perfect all the time. When something doesn't go to plan, you instantly think you aren't good at it. It's not that you aren't good at it. You've just been met with something that's a little bit more complicated, like a failure or I don't know, a project that just didn't go to plan, but you're supposed to fail. You have to fail in life to be able to experience different things and actually experience those emotions. And then it's like, oh, I need to trust myself. Like shit happens, like trusting in yourself and knowing you, you've literally fucked up, but then, okay, how can I learn from it? I think that gives you a lot of self-confidence because I think if you go in with the mindset of I'm never going to fail, boom, 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 you're not going to deal with when you do fail and it will happen you will fail at something. Could even relate it to the gym. You're probably going to fail a squat at some point. Don't let it set you back so hard that you you can't essentially move forward from that. Yeah, I think those short terms are important because mm. I said this before, when you have days or issues like that where someone doesn't go to plan, try and look at it with a telescope rather than a magnifying glass because what people will do, for example, if we had someone who's the world's strongest man at the moment, Tom Stoltman, yeah. Say, if, say if he whoop, say if he had a training day where he failed lift mm-hmm. it doesn't mean that he's never going to hit that lift again or he hasn't hit that lift before it's just that one day yeah and you've had those days where you come in from running and you've had a <sighs> shit day of running or you felt crap and you're like oh, i feel shit i was terrible and that was yeah. not a good run i didn't feel great from it it's just one day yeah. and in the grand scheme of things if you're in the middle of a program or if you're doing something or if you've got a goal that you're looking to achieve Having one bad day in the midst of all that is like a drop in the ocean. Mm-hmm. And if you focus so much on that one day rather than having perspective and standing back a little bit, it's going to create a mindset where you are just toxic with yourself yeah. and have those negative self thoughts rather than, yeah, it was one day. It was one bad training day. It was one bad day for whatever. It was one bad day in the in my progress of the goal that I'm trying to achieve. And tomorrow's a new day. Yeah. <sighs> Mic drop. Mic hit. Mm. Oh, mics. If you don't, if you aren't subscribed to YouTube, do that right now. Um, you'll see our bougie setup where our mics are literally floating. Do you know what? So I've, st- I've started drop. to watch a lot more podcasts now. I don't listen to Me as many too. as I used to. Me something, too. something just about watching people's body language and stuff. Yeah. So <laughs> I watch on YouTube. The finale. Third and final question. I've wrote a couple of notes on this one. So if you want to ask any questions on it, then please. Why are you about to throw me off? Do I need to? Well, it's a question which is quite specific. Okay. So it was thoughts on the new report on branded cereals containing more than double the amount of sugar than own brands, the supermarket own brands. That's really interesting. How much sugar, sorry? Or just so, like okay, I'll tell you some of the, more. I'll tell you some of the stats first yeah, hit me as well. Some stats. Uh, if you have anything on it, Carl, as well, that you look at, then let me know. So what they've what I found was when I was having a little dig around into it is that a lot of like the Kellogg's, the Nestle's type of cereals, when we compare them to the supermarket's own brands, are double or more than double in sugar content. But 
still similar calorie content. Mm-hmm. So the sugar's way higher and also the salt is like three times higher in them as well. The other thing that's three times higher is the cost per box. So for example, if you have Kellogg's Frosties, per box, they are £3.30. Tesco's, Asda, Sainsbury's are all a pound. You've got Aldi, which is 99p. So one of the cereals that I absolutely caned in when I was little, Gemma Sugar Puffs. Yeah. They're called something else now. They've taken the word sugar out the title. Per serving, and the serving size is what? Is it 30 grams for cereal usually? 30 grams, yeah. <laughs> 19.6 grams of sugar per 30 gram serving. Well, I'll, Cal, I'll get you to put this little screenshot on screen of what I'm looking at now because it's, it's a it's now. a kind of span of the uh, cereals across of Kellogg's, Nestle, Jordan's, Granola, even Kellogg Crunchy Nut, what you had yesterday was on there, Luce. That was 9.3 grams of sugar um, per 30 gram serving. I'll probably wait the whole bag, which is actually Well, you, had, you had about 60 grams, didn't you? Mm. That's the thing as well. So, for example, the Kellogg's Frosties, they're 11 grams of sugar. And the from what I was looking at on the NHS website, the recommended is between like 25 to 30 grams of free sugars per day, which is about the equivalent of seven sugar cubes. So if no one's having 30 grams, are they on the same? Everyone's having about mm-hmm. 50 to 60 because unless you're a fucking mouse or a 10-year-old child, you're not having 30 grams. So you're probably 20 grams of sugar in a bowl of cereal in the morning. I think one of the things as well, children aged four to six should have no more than 19 grams yeah. of free sugars a day, which is like five sugar cubes. You have your tiny 30 gram bowl serving of sugar puffs and you've hit, you've hit it. 19 grams, you've already hit it, which I think going back to when we were speaking about that 40% of children leave primary school obese, your cereal in the morning could actually be having quite a significant effect because you don't have 30 gram servings. 30 grams is, it, 30 grams is like tiny, isn't it? What did you say that stat was about kids? Which the obesity one? Yeah. 40% of children leave primary school obese or overweight. Well, did you know one in seven uh, are obese by the time they start reception? Reception. Yeah, that's... Um... Compared to one in 10 before COVID struck. So it's gone down since COVID? It's worse. Oh, it's worse. Yeah. Oh, okay. Sorry. Yeah, one in seven. Yeah. But, what, sorry, I completely can't remember your, your question. Well, you it's about me. the cereals. A couple of things that has happened, obviously, they've brought that calorie on foods, which doesn't really change much for this because the calorie has always been foods. Mm-hmm. But they've had that traffic light system, which is like red, green, yellow, which talks about sugar content and calories and stuff. Because the thing is, when people are looking at things and calories are king, calories are king for when it comes to weight loss. But the other thing we've got to think about is like diabetes and stuff like that for, mm-hmm. for kids. And we all know that sugar is hyperpalatable food. So kids are going to crave sugar and stuff more and want more of it. I think the Prime Minister also announced in 2020 um, that they were going to do more cracking down on child obesity because of how many were overweight, essentially. And part of that plan was that there's going to be new laws restricting offers on foods in high in fat, sugar and salt due to come into effect in large stores, I think, in October. So junk food giants will also be banned from advertising online after 9pm from January 2023. So that was a big thing to try and tackle it. And there's obviously... Oh, go on. I, th- I thought Carl was going to say something. I thought he was. <laughs> you stumped me <laughs> off then. No, uh, but... <laughs> the, um, so with the cereal thing as well, and 
the reason why this is probably so heavily in the media and is spoken about is because it is it is kind of like a global I- issue in a way to kind of tackle it and it, we're categorically not saying cut out sugar because you shouldn't do that you should be having a balanced diet however if one of your main categories of food groups is sugar that that actually isn't nutritionally that isn't good for you we're not trying to pull people off sugar by the way because i think the no, thing is me and carl discussion before when we're in lanzarote carl was banging cereal like left right and center every morning golden was it golden graham's sugar yeah, were these like Spanish ones that are I'm not even joking they're like chocolate biscuits yeah. Yeah, did you ever great. try them yeah they're oh, insane it was like, like breaking cookies. up chocolate digestive biscuits and just pouring milk yeah, on them on it nailing them mm. but you can do that you can, we're not like everyone fucking I love cereal by the way I love cereal when I go to those hotel breakfasts and stuff like that like granola last night yeah I love cereal Ooh. and just saying don't be a wanker about it like don't have don't be having cereal every meal have cereal in the morning even if it's like 10 to 15 grams of sugar. It just means that you don't have as much sugar later on in the day. It's not fucking hard. Yeah. Just be balanced. Have balance of stuff. The interesting thing comes in though is when we're looking at why does the branded cereals have double the amount of sugar of the as the Tesco Sainsbury's own? I honestly could not answer that question because it doesn't make sense to me. Is it is it a cost thing? Does Kellogg's have triple the amount of cost to put into cereal because it's their their sole product, whereas Tesco products, they have a huge range. So they're putting more money into a different variety of products, not just cereal. That's like the only thing I could think where they have such a wide variety of products. Like Tesco have their own rice. Kellogg's don't have their own rice. That's the only thing I could think of. There's been a lot of backlash to branded cereal because they're just saying like how massively unnecessary it is and how grossly irresponsible it is for them to do that. And like, what's the pet? Like, all manufacturers have the same ingredients available. So, why do they put so much sugar in? It's interesting because Carl was saying the other day when he used to work in a restaurant, one of the ways that they were like, oh, how can we make the food better? They just pour a shit ton more cream in it to taste better. We're obviously doing the same thing with that, just to make it more satiating, which is, which is crazy. But the other thing which is mad is because when I was a kid, my dad had never let me have cocoa pops. One of the Kellogg cereals which had the least amount of sugars was cocoa pops. 5.1 5.1 grams per seven. Really? Yeah. Do you, want, do you want to know what I had? And this was my go-to. Was it Ready Breck? Ready Breck. I, I nearly bought that this morning, by Ready the way. Breck. Ready Breck. <laughs> you can tell I've come from like a sport family. Has 0.5 grams of sugar. <laughs> well, yeah. Cheerios is really good as well. Ready Breck is the one. You can add like chocolate powder and make it like chocolate Ready Breck. Weetabix. Those all the big things that yeah, look like a sack of hay. What are the ones that look like a big round of hay? Shredded wheat. Shredded wheat is yeah. phenomenal. Shredded yeah, wheat. Shreddies. Great. Oh wow, I'm really going on cereal frenzy now. There's this thing as well. There's a lot of talk, isn't there, about and this is the other. This is another myth, like how sugar, how sugar is like a drug. It's so addictive. It's like a drug. It's fucking not. I mean, there's been some research just showing that sugars can be super stimulating to certain pathways in the brain that are associated to similar feelings of pleasure and reward, but they're not the same as like substance abuse and doesn't make them as addictive as drugs either. I think that's quite a, uh, an unhealthy comparison to also compare. Yeah, it's not the same. Compare those two. So let's just snap that. Yeah. Like, and there's a, there's a lot of people who really bash sugar as well. Like, I got sugar, I lost fucking 20 pounds. You didn't yeah, you cut out you calories. Cut, you cut out a big portion of calories. If you cut out dairy, if you cut out carbohydrates, if you cut out like any big major food source of your day, especially if you're a glut, gluttonous person who just feeds a fucking 
I don't know, what's a really popular sweet Skittles and sour gummies or whatever. Mm. And you cut that out. It's a big chunk of calories out your day, which is gone. So just to make a side note, <laughs> I've actually just looked at, because I'm actually using my fitness pal at the moment to make sure I eat enough calories. Yeah. Because I am hmm, struggling eating ridiculous amounts for my training. So I'm making sure that I hit a lot. My sugar is actually like triple the amount it should be. But I have a lot of fruit. So oh, yeah. free the, sugars is free different. Sugar is different yeah. Fruit from sugar. Um, no, sugar from fruit. Sorry, it's called fructose. Yeah. But I have 60 grams of yeah. sugar. But that's but, including like banana, no, two bananas and two apples and strawberries. Yeah, so you've got to be careful when we're talking about the different types yeah, of sugars. Yeah, so just to make note there, like that's not me having... Yeah, because those people who talk about apples and eating fruit is bad for you. It just pissed me it's off. Not, it's not, Yeah, it's literally just fructose. I'm, I'm not saying like I eat teaspoons of white sugar to hit that, but that is actually important to know because people would look at it and be like, oh my God, I have so much, but if you're having an apple, how much actually? That's a super interesting one. Apple fructose number. Well... Sugar is one of those food groups that you actually don't need. 7.6. What is? Apple. Unpeeled apple. Fructose is 7.6 grams. Yeah. There you go. D- don't be scared of sugars, by the way. Not just, at all. Just eat eat them. I yeah, don't actually 100%. even... I don't measure sugar. No, just, I don't. It, the more thing that was interesting to me is why the branded cereals would over double the amount of the... As in Tesco's own stuff. Obviously, they're being a bit more responsible than that. You can have a shitload. No, you can't have a shitload more because the calories are similar. But like, again, eat your cereal in the morning. Enjoy it. Don't be scared about boffins putting you off from having sugar. Just be balanced with whatever you're having later on the day. Yeah, 100%. That was a really great question, actually. Yeah. I've never even thought about. Maybe they just put, you know, like with um certain like companies, they put like dye or like more additives in it to make it look more colorful. But then again, cereal is like brown. Well, like, not, they're not making it look like colourful. I was just thinking, like, how are they doing it? Like, how is that even... How are they doing it? Oh, God knows. Because you were so right. It all comes from the same factories, pretty much. Yeah. Rice Krispie comes from one to the other. I cannot answer it, and I'm very curious. Yeah. It's 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 obviously all Kellogg's and Nestle's as well. But Nestle yeah. said that a spokesperson said they removed 59 million teaspoons of sugar and 3 million teaspoons of salt from products over the last decade. I mean, is that really... It sounds like a lot, but then when you say over 10 years, is that really a lot? How much was it? Um, 59 million teaspoons of sugar. Over 10 years. Yeah. They've really tried, <laughs> really tried out, to lengthen that out, haven't they? By also saying a decade and 10 years. Well, both multigrain <laughs> Cheerios and Cookie Crisps are classified as non-high fat sugar and salt and have the amber label on the packaging according to UK government nutrition profile model. I do actually think, you know, that label system, that's actually probably quite beneficial for people. Because not a lot of people, and they shouldn't feel the need to go on the back of a packet and always look at the calories. If you are trying to eat more intuitively, you know, just enjoy food like as it is, but then also be quite mindful to be able to just see a color. Yeah. I think that's actually probably quite a good initiative that they've brought out, even for like kids who are like 10 years plus to be like, oh, look, it's green and amber. Yeah. The the, the other thing to be careful of is, is don't just base a food off of a single ingredient. Oh, yeah. Just because like, it's a bit higher in sugar than other stuff don't be put off by it it's again just balancing things out because if you look at is it jordan's granola oh that's actually oh, granola. deemed as high sugar by the regulators 
because it's, it's granola. Like yeah. granola can be quite high sugary, but I like muesli. Yeah, just just don't get too caught up on it. But I would imagine like a lot of people are looking at this and more so thinking for the kids and stuff as well. Yeah, yeah and definitely. more so thinking from a perspective of diabetes, not potentially weight loss. Yeah, 100%. just a quick one, guys. Do you know where this whole notion of like breakfast is the most important meal of the day? Yeah, you know where that came from. Kellogg's. Yeah. I've just been looking into it. Yeah, Kellogg's. Kellogg's slogan. Yeah. How crazy I wonder why oh. they said that. One of the biggest breakfast companies it's, in the it's world. It's actually really good how they have managed to almost create that as a social norm. As in yeah. like the slow, the, the brand and the slogan was so powerful that it just repeated by every single person. Your mum, your dad, your grand, your granddad. Breakfast is the most important meal of the day. Well, it's not for me because I fucking fast, mate. Yeah, breakfast actually means breaking the fast. Yeah. And imagine if we, we we still called it. And what are you having for breaking the fast? Yeah. <laughs> what, like, what is for? Sure, mate, not yeah. There. So yeah, it has been um, intertwined into one word. Super interesting, actually. Yeah. But there are all our questions. I love that yeah. episode. That was uh, phenomenal. Yeah, it was good. It was good. Episode. I'm not going to say what next week's episode is, but it's a super exciting one. Do what? What is it? Don't want to say what it is. I'm not going to tell. I'll tell you off air. I don't I know what it is. The guest podcast next week. I don't feel like I've been told, so this is it's, exciting. Oh, is something I got in the wrong way. Yeah, it's already been pre-recorded. Oh. Yeah. So make sure that you tune yes. in for that one. Super exciting guest. Really, really cool. And just on that note as well, we massively, massively, massively appreciate it when you Tell leave. Tell massive, Mazzy bro. Mazzy bro. When you leave reviews on the podcast. So if you go on iTunes or Spotify, I don't know 100% how it works on Spotify, but if you go on Apple Podcasts, type in the Not So Fit Couple, tap five stars. I mean, or four, but I mean, would definitely recommend five. And then just write a little review. It just means so much to us. Can I just say this, by the way, and I don't like to bang on about it or people. The review we got about eating was the Zach Bitter episode. No we one, did not no one eat. Ate, no one ate a thing on the Zach Bitter episode. How do you know it was for that one? Because it said when you've got guests on, like a guest of that caliber who's agreed to come on and do the podcast, you shouldn't be rude and eat. No one ate. We didn't, we didn't do a, we didn't even have Coro. Uh, we nothing. didn't have anything. Anyway, yeah, leave, leave a good review. Also, check out the app because it's sick. Yeah, not so fit 20. And also, if you want to try one of these air up bottles that I'm currently showing you on screen. Cheers. You can get 10% off. Oh. Link will be in the description and use the not so fit for 10% discount. Yeah. And as always, have a wonderful day or evening and we will catch you in next week's episode. Bye, guys. Bye, guys. <laughs>